never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for an interview because I've got Dave Alban with me. Dave Alban is a man who has reinvented himself in multiple, multiple versions. And it is, you know, if you actually think through what you can do in your life, there is sort of, you get born, fair enough, you can't do much about it. Um, then you've got the first years where you get formed and you know, trauma happens. Then you start exploring. And this man explored. Rest assured, he has had 20 years of a very exploring life. And then things changed. And then he explored more, but he explored more of becoming a different man. And he had some very interesting mentors. Um, and I just might drop a name or two. Tony Robbins, for example. Um, yes, okay. <laughs> yes, yes, you heard right. And then he has become now a mentor himself, a man who teaches others to overcome their fears, their, 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 the things that hold them back. So this man has gone through multiple revolutions, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. That is how we all grow. I can't wait to talk to this man. Dave, welcome to my show. Hey, Dr. Stefan. Thanks, man. I'm really <laughs> excited to be here. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Born in 54. Uh, were, you, were you born in, in the rock and roll times? Um, was rock and roll actually part of your life? <laughs> I was born in Hollywood, <laughs> California, at Queen of Angels Hospital. Oh, wow. uh, my, my grandmother lived across the street from Hollywood High School, <laughs> uh, if that tells you anything. <laughs> I, saw, I saw Led Zeppelin uh, uh, four times uh, at the L.A. Forum in 1974, maybe? <laughs> I don't know if that, if that answers your question. Okay, wow. Okay, so that's cool. Oh, wait a minute. No, no. You know what? I left out the best part. Guess who I saw at the Hollywood Bowl? The Fab Elvis. Four. Oh. <laughs> oh, boy. 1964. Goodness I was in fourth grade. Yep, sure did. <laughs> and I say I saw them. I saw them. I didn't really hear them. Hmm. Um, the girls were screaming so loud during the concert that you couldn't hear anything. Every time Ringo would shake his head or his ass or whatever, and, and, and they'd change a song, right? The girls would scream so loud. I think I gave up about 10% of my hearing in my right ear uh, because of that concert. <laughs> yeah. well, these were the times. This, I mean, imagine it in the post-war period. You had mm -hmm. now people who had enough of the deprivation of the, the nothing they wanted to just unleash unleash the the power of of sex they wanted to live sex that was around about the time when the birth control pill came in so you've had such a revolution and you were there you lived it and of course yes, drugs and alcohol were part and parcel of that when was the first time that you had a drink i was 11 uh, my parents uh, that adopted me when when I was born uh, shortly about five years after I was born my my mother was a single mom she was Rosie the Riveter uh, which in America meant that when the men went off to war during World War II she stayed back like all the women did and built airplanes and jeeps and trucks and oh, wow. did all that wow. and so when I was born she I had two stepbrothers from a different father and by the time I was five she couldn't afford me so she put me up for adoption and who adopted me was um, her sister, which would have been my aunt and uncle. 
And, and, and they, they, they swore off alcohol the day they adopted me. And then like six years later, they set me down on the first day of summer in 1964. And they said, David, we're not, we're not your parents. We need to tell you that. And I was like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, you're 11 years old. You don't know what that means. And then they started drinking shortly thereafter. I guess it really bothered them. I, I'm not sure. I just know that they both started drinking. And things went from being so lovely and so wonderful to just all hell broke loose in like, you know, like overnight. And so they left one day and went to the store. Back in those days, you could leave your kids at home when they were 11 years old. You know, you just call the neighbor across the street and say, hey, Joanne, I'm leaving David. You know, if he needs anything, can he come over there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, send him over here. Mm -hmm. And so they did that all the time, right, back in those days in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And so when they left, I saw where they hid the alcohol. And, and I went over and I opened the, I opened the cabinet and I looked at it. I pulled the bottle out and I looked at it and looked at it and I smelt it. And I went, Oh God, it was brandy. Right. And I was like, Oh, this is nasty. Well, let's see what it tastes like. And I poured it in a coffee cup, drank about that much out of the coffee, and I drank it straight down and I was wow. done right there. I had no chance. I truly believe I was an alcoholic right on the spot. I, I have never felt anything like that. Of course, I felt exhilarated. I felt like I was pouring rocket fuel into my bloodstream. Hmm. And from that moment on, I started chasing it. Hmm. I started, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I was a kid. I was 11 years old. And then, you know, that just, that was it. Once, once I got to that point, um, I believe, again, I was, I believe I was an alcoholic right on the spot. Hmm. Th that led to drugs. You know, how much longer was it before I started trying drugs? Uh, maybe a year, two, a year and a half, something what like that. What was around? What was around at that time? Everything was around. I was in mm. Southern California. What do you want? Oh. Okay. <clears throat> you want orange sunshine, LSD? You want cocaine that came from Colombia? You want um, <laughs> a heroin that came from Bali? I mean, you know, it was everything was pure back then. There was no cut. Uh, you know, I wow. mean, for the most part, you, yeah. you could get whatever you wanted in the, in the mid-60s. Um, once you got into 66, 67, the Vietnam era, all that, mm. yeah, mm. everything was, everything was different back then. So there was no risk or even thought of it. Nobody was dying because it was cut with fentanyl or, you know what I mean? Something like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was pretty pure. So again, by the time I got to junior high school, I was, I was, I was deep into the hard drug mm. world. How did you do at school? Because some people, they, they basically try to escape, or well, so many of us try to escape from their reality. Uh, and you got either the drugs and or school. So in my case, I became a workaholic far earlier than I became an alcoholic. Um, so how did you do at school? Uh, by the time I got to my junior year, they expelled me. <laughs> they asked me, they asked me, to, they pulled, <laughs> right. well, Stefan, they actually brought me in to the, uh, to the, to the principal's office. And they right. said, Mr. Albin, you know, we think it might be best you go ahead and leave our high school now. Oh, shit. So, okay. Well, I did. I left. I'm like, Hey guys, this isn't funny. <laughs> Don't be joking around here. All right. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause I was, I was ready. I, you know, the, what was it? Was it Paul Simon <sighs> that wrote the song? When you, when I think back, When I think back to all that crap I learned in high school, I, it's a wonder I can think at all. I, yeah. <laughs> that was like my theme song. <laughs> oh yeah, and I know I, that song I well. I did, and I uh. knew that what I was, what 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 was going on there was was not going to influence my life all that much in terms of making money. Yeah. 
Um, and so I left and I literally left that school, drove to the biggest grocery store in the state of California at that time in Long Beach, California. And I got a job that day. <laughs> and, and I got, and I, and I went through an apprenticeship. I became a journeyman clerk, which was tied into the uh, Teamsters union back then. And within about a year, I was making uh, close to $9 an hour in 1971, 1972. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it worked out for me there. <clears throat> but to answer your question, no, school yeah. wasn't, there were so many distractions. You know, you have all the stuff going on at home yeah, where your parents are fighting and throwing things and awesome. yeah. it's a mess there, right? So you're dealing with all that. And and I never wanted to be at home. So, you know, where yeah. were you going to do your homework? There you go. <laughs> but so you took action. And I think that is the, the key thing. Well, the first action was, well, actually explore the alcohol, maybe not so good, um, but taking action there and then. So you didn't actually fall into to the victim role. You were a constant survivor. You were constantly looking out for yourself. Um, how did it go with relationships? Because often enough, when you don't, when you don't trust people at home, when you're constantly on guard of what is happening, typically the relationship sides don't work so well either. How did it go with you? Um, I've been married four times. <laughs> Does that, that's any indication? I married my so, I You're a slow learner. I married, my, <laughs> I married my childhood sweetheart. Yeah. Who were total, total, we were total polar opposites. Um, she was, you know, she was absolutely stunningly gorgeous. So that, that helped. <clears throat> we went to Hawaii for two weeks when we got married. And, and I think we were, you know, we were divorced within 90 days or annulled the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the wedding. <clears throat> so that didn't, she threatened to tell my parents that I smoked cannabis. And I went, Oh, you're out. We're done with that. You know, threaten me. Oh. Um, so then <clears throat> I married um, a, a woman that got me out of California and brought me to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And she was wonderful. She was a great woman, really smart, very hardworking. She could party with me. So she had some her own challenges there. Uh, but, you know, she looked at me one day and said, David, I love you. You're a great guy, but I can't do this anymore. I can't live with your alcoholism and your drug addiction. <clears throat> and so I, you know, I, I accepted that. <clears throat> and uh, then I started hanging around at this one bar and there was a beautiful bartender. There she was. And she had three kids and we got involved and I ended up marrying her. And I thought, you know, if I marry her, she's got three kids. Maybe this will, this will help me settle down and I'll calm down a little bit and get my drinking and drugging under control. No. It lasted for about three months, maybe, maybe less. Hmm. And uh, next thing I know, you know, we that that marriage fell apart too, because you know, there's again lots of party. Um, and then I met my fourth wife, and uh, I met her in AA. So I went to a uh, I went to a AA uh, New Year's Eve dance, and I had about two and a half years sober at this point. Oh wow! And she and she had six months. And so we're at this dance and all the guys are over here and all the girls are over here, you know, typical dance with a bunch of, a bunch of young people in sobriety, if you will. And, and uh, I, after new year's, we said, happy new year's. And I'm walking out the door and she came running up to me. Well, I was 12 years older than she was when I met her, she was 22. I was 34. 
and she was gorgeous. And she came running up to me and she said, are you leaving? And I said, yeah. And she said, will you dance with me before you go? And I said, I don't dance, but I'll dance with you. <laughs> and so we danced and nice. we were married for 23 and a half years and have two beautiful kids. And uh, my son's going to turn 30 this year. My daughter's going to turn, she'll be 27. Wow. In fact, on Friday, <laughs> Stefan, she, um, she gave birth to a six pound, eight ounce baby girl. Congratulations, um, Grant. Right? Yeah. So if I'm a little enthusiastic right now, if, I, if I've got, if I've got uh, gratitude oozing out of my ears, that's why. Nice. Uh, yeah, so Charlotte Charlotte Ray was born at 4.32 p.m. this last Friday. That's a very civilized time to get born. Normally when I help bringing babies to, to the world, it's a.m., 3 a.m., <laughs> oh, dark 30. <laughs> I didn't know that babies can come out during the day as well. <laughs> Apparently they do. It was a mystery to me, too. I'd never known it. All my kids were born at night, and that's all I ever heard. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> right. Oh, wow. So, but here you go. I mean, that is 20 years of rock and roll, or oh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Let's call it what totally. it is in your, in your case. What eventually yeah. made you stop? What actually, when, where was that pain, point or pain. those points? Yeah, I woke, I woke up on June 8th. And, um, you know, you, you, it's, it's interesting, the evolution of your alcoholism and your drug addiction, how it mm -hmm. plays out and, and how much you're willing to deal with and how much pain you're willing to, to, mm -hmm. to deal with. And, you know, for most of us, I think we, mm -hmm. we drank for one of two reasons. We either drank to avoid pain or we drank to try to gain pleasure. And one day it went <laughs> Both of them went out the window. It wasn't oh. doing either one. Nice. And, you know, I, re I remember one time I'm, it was early in the morning and I'm sitting in the bathroom naked uh, on a, uh, a with a bucket and, and, a, and a bottle of vodka and, 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 and I'm trying to wake up. Right. And so I'm shaking, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right. You're shaking. Yeah. And so you take the vodka bottle and you open it and you take a, a big jug, jug of it, you know, to try to get it down and you, uh, and you throw it, hence the bucket, use the bucket and, and, and you throw it up and you do it three or four times. And then finally, maybe like the fifth time you drink it down and it stays down. And then, and then you, you go from shaking like this to shaking not so violent, right? Oh, boy. You were, you were a step you, further than me. I give you that. Uh, oh, boy. All right. Well, <laughs> so then, so what happens there is that if, once you drink enough, you get enough alcohol in your body, as you know, yeah. being a doctor, it, it, it balances out. And, you know, you stop shaking and then you kind of, you know, you're wiping your mouth off. And all of a sudden you're telling, here's what I'm telling myself. It's not so bad. Dude, what are you, you're naked. You're sitting on a toilet. You've got a bucket between your legs. You've got a bottle of vodka. And it's not so bad. What You know what I mean? So it's like, you really? You're going to tell yourself that? That oh, it's okay? Boy. Oh, boy. So, yep. but June 8th was, that was the day. I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I, I was, I was in so, I was excruciating pain emotionally, physically, of course, spiritually. And I said, this is it. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't. I, 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 this, this, is, this is suffering beyond my wildest imagination. So I just, I'm in my basement. I'm down there by myself. And I went and loaded my pistol. And I said, this is going to be pretty easy. I'm going to put the pistol in my mouth and pull the trigger. And I'm not going to feel a thing. Mm. There won't be any pain. 
Mm. I'll just be, I'll be alive one second and dead the next. Mm. And, and I wasn't scared. I wasn't fearful of, you know, oh my gosh, you're going to go to hell if you do that. This is going to happen. And I don't care. Mm. I don't care. I just want the pain to stop. Mm. That's all I cared about. So I put the pistol in my mouth and all of a sudden that dawns on me. These three kids that I've married this woman who I'm their stepfather, if they come down and see my brains blown all over the basement, that's not going to be very nice. That'll be the last image. My God, that's PTSD and everything else all rolled mm. into one. Mm. So we can't do that. Well, I took, the pay, I took the pistol back out. Then I wrestled with it again. I stuck the pistol back in my mouth. And really what happened, it, it just came down to one thing. And that was compassion for my stepkids. And, and then I remember thinking, all right, well, then what are you going to do? And I remember thinking, okay, well, I got a phone here, right? I got a cell phone I'll, um, or a, a wireless phone. I'll just call AA. Hmm. Well, you know what's interesting about that, Dr. Stefan? I didn't even know who AA was. <sighs> and all of a sudden, it just pops in my head, really? And so I, I call, I call, I call Intergroup. And this woman named Madge answer the phone this is alcoholics anonymous <laughs> i mean that's how she talked and she was like well you know she's like she's asking me questions do you have a desire to stop drinking you know i'm not going to send anybody to come get you if you're not serious i mean she was kicking my butt and what was interesting she talked like that because she probably smoked three packs of palm oil non-filtered cigarettes a day <laughs> like they did back in those days and oh shit yeah Right. And so, yeah, next thing I know, there's a guy pulling up in front of my house. Uh, his name's Lauren. And wow. he picked me up and he took me to an all men's group. Wow. And I went to my first AA meeting on June 8th, 1988. It was a 12:30 meeting, lunch meeting. And I stayed for a 4:30, a 6:30, and an 8:30 meeting. So I went to four <laughs> meetings that first day. Oh well. I'm like, I'm all in, right? I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I kind of know my life's on the line, obviously. And so did the men, because I shared with them. And um, and I went home that night, and I didn't take a drink. And about 8 o'clock the next morning, my phone rings, and it's John. Guess from where? <laughs> from, from AA, from the Stepping Stones group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Herndon, Virginia. And John's like, he's, a, he's like you. He's a really great, funny guy, very enthusiastic. He's like, good morning. How you doing? And I'm thinking, how the hell do you think I'm doing? I want a drink. I want drugs. I'm coming apart at the seams here. Mm. Dude, help. Uh, you know, Jesus, help me. Mm. He goes, don't move. I know where you live. Uh, I'll be right there. And he came and he picked me up. He took me out. And we went to lunch. And then he took me to AA. And and so, you know, you what happens there is that you start to feel the love and the understanding mm -hmm. and, and you know, you're mm -hmm. seeing I'm being around men that are living happy, joyous and free. Mm -hmm. And, and they were telling my story. They knew how bad it was. And I started learning about them. And, you know, one day went to two, went to three, it went to a week from a week, it went to a month. And then they gave me that little medallion at 30 <laughs> days. Of course, they also gave me one, the 24 hour chip, the mm. surrender chip, we call it, right? The, the day I went to my first meeting. And then I got a two month chip, a three month chip, a six month, nine month. And then you got, then I got that, that, that proverbial, just like, it's like a trophy, you know, it's like, it's like a gold medal at the Olympics, for gosh sakes, you get that, that one year medallion, you know, well, exactly. for one year. Well, and, and then what happened was happening there along the way, part of my recovery, I had insomnia. So I was up late all the time and trying to get my sleep patterns. And, 
And I probably should have gone to rehab, but I didn't even know about rehab back in those days. The guys were like going, look, just eat a lot of chocolate and, and drink a lot of fresh <laughs> squeezed orange juice, right? Get vitamin C, get vitamin D, get the sugar, try to get yourself balanced. And uh, I was, and, and then that's what got me, you know, I was up late at night and I watched and I saw a Tony Robbins seminar and that's what got me, you know, from AA into the personal development industry. And, and I loved it because I combined both of them. It was spectacular. It was like, wow, these steps are, are allowing me to put my life back together and go back and say, I'm sorry and forgive me and look at my character defects and look at my shortcomings and realize that there's a power greater than me and turn, turn my will and my life over to something more than Dave. Um, and, and then, you know, I got into the maintenance steps and again, when I incorporated the personal development industry into that, exactly. it, just, it was like, it, I got so much further faster. Absolutely. It just catapulted me, if you will. And so when I was watching the Tony Robbins infomercial that one night, um, I couldn't stand it. I thought, what a pompous ass this guy is, right? <laughs> He's all motivated, you know, and he, you know, Mr. Young, vibrant Tony Robbins is just, he was insane. Well, he said a couple of things that really, really got my attention, though. He said, you know, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to uh, gain pleasure. And I went, oh, my God, I've been doing that my whole life. Hmm. And so that really resonated with me. And then he said, you know, the driving force in our lives is um, inspiration or desperation. Uh -huh. And I went, oh, oh. boy. Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm desperate. So I got pain and I'm desperate. Well, he's selling a program. It's called Personal Power. It's a 30-day program. Exactly. Right? <laughs> All right, you ready for this? Came on little white things there, uh, Doc, uh, called cassette tape. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. So, I've got personal power. Okay. You have it, right? So, um, so I, 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 pull, I pulled off the plastic and I put in the first tape. And I, I started doing what the man taught me to do, and it worked. And and that was that was that was it. That was my introduction to, to Tony Robbins. And, and stop, stop! And I need I, to stop I, you there. I need to stop you yeah, there because sure. you, what you just said will get lost in your beautiful, uh, elegant way of talking. You just said you got the tape, you put it in, and then you did what it said. 90% of the self-help books will be somewhere gathering dust. 90% of the yeah. tapes that are being bored, they might listen to the first five and then life will overtake them. Again, what I said earlier with you, you took action. You hear something and then you take action. Now that makes you a very, very different man compared with so many others out there. Well, and, 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 and to give credit to Tony Robbins, in the first tape, he covers that. He said, look, if, if you're one of these people that are going to buy this program, plug it in, and then <laughs> not follow through and not yeah. do it, then go give the tape to program to somebody who will. And I'm like, is he talking to me? <laughs> right? Right? And so that it. helped. Yeah, it really helped, it. Doc. It was really it. great that he, that, that he did that because it encouraged me to, to go forward. Um, and so from there, what happened, uh, I read his book. Mm. personal power or unlimited power. Mm. And then I loaned my tape program to a buddy in AA who was about uh, a year and a half, had about a year and a half on me, uh, my good friend, Dan the Butcher, right? We always have these interesting names for people in AA, Dan the Butcher. 
or Chicago John, you know, or whatever. Um, so he he borrowed the he borrowed the tape. I, I gave him my tape program, and he and he went through it. Well, seven years later, in 1995, he calls me on the phone. He's out of his mind. He's like a little kid that wants to show you a new toy. He's like, oh my god, hey, hey I just t- Tony Robbins is coming to town, man. I just found out. I mean, you know, you got me into this. Come on, let's go. Like, Brilliant. What? Calm down. <laughs> So he goes, no, seriously, can you go with me? I want to go. And I said, yeah, sure. I'd love to go see Tony live. Let's do this. And he said, great. I'll call you back. I'll make arrangements. So he calls me back like an hour later. And he said, done. We pick up the tickets at will call. (laughs) Uh, Here's what they tell us to do. Bring snacks because you're going to spend a lot of time in the room. Uh, Boy, was that an understatement. Uh, Hydrate, drink a lot of water between now and the event. Uh, uh, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? This is 95 doc, right? It was $700. I'm like, what? $700. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll play full out. Uh, And uh, then the day comes. So the event, we get there, we get the will call, we get our tickets. We're in our seats. Tony takes the stage at two o'clock in the afternoon. Next thing. We're watching it. We're watching the clock. Next thing we know, it's after midnight. Now, by the way, to back up, during the conversation I had on the phone with him when he was telling me about what to do and whatever, at the very end of the conversation, before he gets ready to hang up, he goes, oh, by the way, we're going to be doing a fire walk, is what it sounded like. It's like time slowed down to nothing. And it was just like fire walk. And I remember thinking, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. I, I don't think so. Not this guy. I'm not. This is going on in my head. I'm not saying anything to Dan. I'm just saying no in my head. And and you know what's really interesting about that? I didn't even know what I was saying no to. I didn't know what a firewalk was. I had no reference for that. All I know is it sounded really scary, and this kid ain't doing it. So I said no. But I did, I never said anything to Dan. I just said, oh, yeah, sure, Dan, firewalk. Yeah, sounds interesting. <laughs> Hung up the phone. Well, again, when you get there, what's Tony do for 10 hours? He does nothing but prep you. Well, not I shouldn't say nothing, but he he spends a lot of time prepping you for that firewalk. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, it's a little after midnight, and he goes, take off your shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, uh-uh, you're not tricking me, pal. I don't think so. I am not going to take my shoes off because I know what that means. Well, I'm in a room with 3,500 people, and everybody's taking their shoes off. And it dawns on me, if I don't take my shoes off, I'm walking out there with 3,000 people that have taken their shoes off. They're going to look at me with my shoes on and go, hey, look at that guy. He's wimping out. And I'm like, yeah, we can't have that. So I'll fake it. I'll take my shoes off, but I'm not going to do the firewalk. Well, the next thing he has you doing as you get ready to walk outside is he starts everybody chanting. Right? So they're walking along and they're clapping hands. They're going, yes. 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 So now you got this vibration going on, right? You're going outside and it gets worse. Because as soon as you go outside, beautiful summer night, by the way, the moon's out. It's gorgeous. Uh, he's got African drummers. So, so everybody's chanting yes. And then you got the drums, right? Dun, 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 dun. And you know, and you're, and you're just, you're getting, you're getting caught up in the whole ambiance. <laughs> well, exactly. The, you just so, describing it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> right. The, the vibrations insane. And then over in the corner of this giant parking lot, he's got this huge fire 
that fire pit's probably uh, 25 feet wide. It's probably 50 to 60 feet long. And they built a giant fire and it burned all day. It burnt for probably 10 hours and then it just burns down and it renders this big, giant, beautiful pile of coals. Well, here's what they do. They load those coals in a wheelbarrow, in a steel wheelbarrow, and then they bring the wheelbarrow in and they lay two lanes of sod on each side of it. And the grass, the sod, or I think in Europe, they call it turf. Hmm. Um, it's about three feet wide. It's about 18 feet long. And they took flathead shovels and they would shovel the coals out of that wheelbarrow and they just sprinkle them on top of that grass. And that's what you walked on. Well, as I'm walking out there, you know, looking at all this and everything's going on, I'm, I'm still, I'm holding, I'm holding the line. I'm not going to firewalk. And so I said to myself, I'll just go hide in the back. Well, you think that's a good idea? Well, it's not. Why? Well, first of all, you're going back there saying nobody's going to know. It's just, well, yeah, of course somebody's going to know. I'm going to know, number one. But here's the deal. Tony wants you to go through this experience. He doesn't want you to miss this because he knows it's, it's a paradigm shift. He knows it's one of the most powerful experiences on the planet by far. And, he, and, and so if you don't do it, you know, what's, what, what's, that, what, what's that taking away from you? So what you do is when, the, when all the people, there was other people back there hiding out too, obviously. When here's the deal, you think it's a good idea. It's not because Tony's people know where all the cowards are. So the next thing I know, here comes this guy out of nowhere. And, and Tony must train them. When you, when, you, when you lock eyes with somebody, don't take your eyes off them. And sure enough, that's what this guy did. He came and he saw me and he looked at me and he, and he, now he won't take his eyes off of me. And I'm watching him walk at me and getting closer and closer. He probably gets, I don't know, doc, he probably got about 25, 20, 25 feet from me. Yeah. And he kind of stops and he kind of leans in and looks at me, you know, like this, he goes, are you okay? <laughs> and of course, when we're not okay, what do we say? <clears throat> Oh, yeah, I'm fine. I, I'm fine. <laughs> exactly. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. All good here, brother. Yeah, we're all good. Don't need any help. I'm good. He goes, Oh, good. He said, Hey, um, are you going to walk tonight? And I, and I'm, I kind of gave him a tone. Like I was a little ticked off at him. Right. I'm like, absolutely not. And, you know, I said it with intensity. Right. And he, and he kind of goes, Hey dude, it's cool. He says, no problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I, I remember thinking, wow, okay, I like this guy. He's going to get me out of here. And the next thing I know, he says, well, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And he said, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I remember thinking, yeah, I would. I'd love to watch these people burn their feet off. This will be very entertaining. And he says, well, you know, you can't see anything from way back here. Oh, I like it. Oh, right? I like it. You know it. where this is, you know where oh. it's going, right? So he says, he said, look, it's no big deal. Just get in line. <laughs> right? He, he's telling the truth. He is telling the man in his defense. He's telling the truth. I have 3,000 people in front of me, Doc. I can't see anything. Hmm. Um, uh, and so I did. I just kind of got in line because I did. I wanted to see it. And so I'm just, and now I'm in line. I'm just kind of walking along and I'm walking along. And um, this guy comes up to me and he whispers in my ear and he said, he knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. And then pew, he just disappeared into the night. Never saw the guy again. Nothing. Don't even know. And so I'm walking along going, 
what the hell? And you know, and again, remember everybody's chanting, everybody's the yeah. drums are going, yeah. and everybody and people are starting to scream and yell with exhilaration. And it mm -hmm. almost sounds like they're hurting themselves. You, you know, because there's a fine line between screaming, between exhilaration and and actually hurting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And and I and all of a sudden I get to a point I can't see in front of me, but I can see at an angle. And as I'm looking over here at the angle, and I, I'm seeing people doing it, they're walking. Every every race, every creed, every color, everybody, boom, they're walking. And now my brain is like, okay, it's looking for answers. And I've got none because I don't have any references for any of this. Mm. And I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching. And I guess the next thing I know, guess where I am? Boom. I'm in the front of the line. And all of a sudden, now the reality, fight or flight kicks in, right? And I'm, st I'm staring down at the coals. The coals are laying on that grass. They're bright red. There's a wheelbarrow over there full of coals. You can feel the heat coming off. My heart is beating so fast in my chest. I, it feels like it's going to jump out of my chest any moment. And, and, and I'm staring into the abyss. Well, there's a trainer standing right there. And all of a sudden, the trainer goes, eyes up. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah, okay, that's right. Bring your eyes up. Well, apparently I'm a slow learner. When I'm in the room with Tony for 10 hours, guess what he tells you to do? Eyes up. When you get out there, don't stare at what you fear. Keep your eyes up. Look to the end. That's where the, that's where the celebration is. So now my eyes are up, and, and the trainer goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. Then he went, stronger. And I went, yes. And he knew I was leaving a lot on the table. He knew I wasn't in a peak state. So he got, like, right in my face and screamed at me. It's to go stronger. And now I'm like pissed, right? I throw my hands in the air and I screamed at the top of my voice, yes! And he goes, go, go, go! Boom, I took off. So here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. And it's kind of a metaphor for life. And that is when you take the first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. I <laughs> guarantee you, I promise you, you will not stop on that bed of coals and look around. You're going to keep moving. Well, what Tony does is he stages two people at the end of that fire lane and they lock arms and they stop you because heck at that point, I'd have walked all the way to Albuquerque. I, you know, I, I was just in a trance and they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. So I'm wiping my feet and I celebrate and I'm jumping up and down and, and I'm, and, and, and it was and, and literally right there on the spot. It was one of the most exhilarating moments of my entire life. Nothing like it ever. Just, there's nothing like it. And, and here's where it really gets interesting for me. Yeah, the firewalk that night was exhilarating. In fact, I went to bed that night, and I'll, and I'll admit it to your, to your listeners and your viewers. Guess what? I didn't wash my feet. <laughs> I, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted to, to leave my – in fact, you know, when I first did it and I got to the end of that night, I thought I burnt myself. It felt like I burnt myself, or at least that's what my brain was saying. And then I looked at my feet, and they were dirty. But there's no burns. I didn't get one burn. And, and again, so now your brain's processing, right? How do you walk on coals that are a thousand degrees and not burn yourself? How does that, how is that possible? Um, and you know, and for me, what's interesting too was that I had done something that was spectacular, and I don't have a clue how I did it. Ever done that, right? Where you do something, you go, that, yes. that was me. Oh, yes. Right? That was me, yeah. pal. Oh, yeah. But you don't know how you do it, you don't know how you did it. It's kind of like sobriety. One day at a time, like, how did I do, how did I get through that day without taking a drink kind of a thing, right? So there's similar metaphors there. Well, then here's, here's what really, this is what got me was the next day. 
we come in, there's 3,500 people standing in the foyer getting ready to go into the venue. And I had never experienced anything like it. I'm, people were communicating and getting along humanistically. Uh, 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 it was spectacular. Uh, uh, people, uh, doc, they were laughing. They were crying. They were uh, holding uh, each other. Uh, uh, they were telling uh, their stories. And so everybody's consciousness and, and vibration got lifted really high. And that's what got me. That got me. And I went, are you kidding me? Is that, is that what, is this what, did the firewalk create that here in the room this morning? Well, yeah, of course it was. Because we had all experienced something at a really, really high level. I wow. call it, it's kind of like a, almost a near-death experience. Hmm. Um, I've got a hmm. really good friend of hmm. mine that was the last passenger off flight 1549, U.S. Air, Miracle on the Hudson. And, and that when that plane crashed in the Hudson and they all got out safely with no fatalities, you know, there's a bond there between all of them because they experienced mm. something so extraordinary. Mm. Firewalking is kind of like that. Mm. Um, mm. Just because mm. again, it's so, it's just such an extraordinary experience. Well, I found out that Tony uses about 300 volunteers for every event. And back in those days, you could contact Robin's research they would send you an application, you'd fill it out. And if, if you were approved, then uh, you got to go crew uh, with Tony. And I did that and I got approved. And that was in late 95. And, and, and then they, you know, when you fill out the application, they ask you all kinds of things about what, you know, what can you do? I lived on a farm at the time. So I knew, mm. you know, I knew how to split wood. I knew how to use tools. I had a military background. I had a security background. They, mm. they took all that. And then the next thing I was asked to do was to help with some of Tony's celebrities. Shortly after that, um, I was put, I was on the fire team. And so I started learning all the logistics and everything mm. that it takes you know, what kind of wood do you use? And, mm. you know, how much saw, you know, all the logistics uh, uh, when it comes to putting on a firewalk. Mm. And then they actually offered me as this uh, assistant captain's position in 96. And then in 2003, Robbins brought me in and said, Albie, I'd like you to take over all of my firewalks globally. And I, and when I was first offered that, I said, I can't do it. And they were like, well, you can't or you won't. <laughs> you know, Tony, oh. he, doesn't, he doesn't take no very well, right? <laughs> and I said, well, Tony, I homeschool. I can't. Yeah. And he goes, oh, man. He goes, well, okay. Well, what if we pay to have your kids and your family travel with us? Would that make a difference? Well, yeah, of course it would. <laughs> and um, so the next thing, there I am, man. You know, I've got a I've got a seven year old daughter and a ten year old son, and a and a wife and their mom, and we're on the road with Tony Robbins traveling around the world. In fact, my first event, wow. taking my family on the road was Sydney, Australia. So you know, <laughs> my, my my family's like, yeah, this is we like this, this works. But of course, we went everywhere, right? We went to we went to London and we went to Hawaii, wow. and we went to Canada, and we went all over oh, the United wow. States, and and so you know, imagine being homeschooled and you get to travel the world so it was it was amazing for them it was it was an absolute spectacular experience for the entire family um and then in 2005 we we crossed the pond we went to london and that's where we set the world record now when i say world record i want to be clear guinness was not there but we firewalked 12,300 people Wow. To my knowledge, yeah. there's never been a firewalk 
of that size and that magnitude anywhere in the world. Um, so wow. that was, you know, that was a lot of fun. We did it but, at the Excel Center sure. um, in the Docklands, right? In, Look, in the, like man, West man the doctor in me has to say, okay, Davis, let's put it like that. If you look at 100 people, 10% are personality disorders. Uh, they either can't follow instructions very well, or they're just nerdy, they're just weird. 1% are psychopaths, sociopaths. So just statistically, there must be some idiots amongst those those thousands of people. Um, um. It, it <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So what is the, is there... Uh, are there injuries? Are there people who do not follow your instructions and therefore hurt themselves? And how do you prevent that? Um, training, right. our team. Um, you know, when your mantras uh, are things like, you know, there's three ways to do this. They're safe, safer, and safest. Perfect. Yeah. So our team is trained so well, we prevent all that. The worst case scenario, I mean, I know firewalking sounds really dangerous, huh. but it's not. Yeah. Uh, put a kid on a soccer field, that's dangerous. Put a kid on a football field, <laughs> yep. that's dangerous. Correct. Take a kid, take a kid to the beach and get them burnt. That's dangerous. Uh firewalking is not as dangerous as it sounds. Can you get burnt? Yes. Is it a third degree? No. Is it a second degree? Probably close to never. Will they get a first degree burn and a blister? Yeah, sure. Mm. We call them kisses. Mm. Put a little okay. neosporin on it, and the next day it's gone. So that's literally the, the biggest threat. You know what, Doc? I'm glad you asked this, this question. Because the biggest threat out there is them falling down the stairs, leaving the venue, coming out to the parking lot. <laughs> that is more dangerous, right, <laughs> than somebody actually. And, and, the, and, and by the way, you talk about the psychopaths and all that. Mm. We, we always get a group of, pe of men, a lot. they're almost always men. And they're all, you know, like, let me show you how macho I'm going to be. And they come running out to the firewalk, not walking like everybody else. They're running and they're screaming. And then when they get up to the fire lane, you know, we're blocking them. They don't start the firewalk until Tony says, let the games begin. And then they're screaming at the fire. I mean, they're idiots. They're screaming at going, I own you, man. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to beat you tonight. And, you know, and it's like, what are you doing? You really think you're going to negotiate with the fire? <laughs> really, dude? And it's funny, man. Oh, Stefan, you got to see it. You know, they get out there and they're all, <laughs> and they take one step and, and then they turn into a princess. <laughs> and they're like, and they're, you know, they're, they're freaking because they're, they're going to burn their foot and they can feel it. Yeah. And so they'll either jump off the lane altogether or they just tiptoe and, and run and, and, they shut their mouth really quickly. All that screaming and yelling and acting exactly. all oh, a bunch of testosterone going on. Oh. Uh, the fire goes, nah, we're not going to have any of that tonight. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. So no, that's cool. I mean, it is, it would freak me out. Um, when I anesthetize someone, I control all the variables that I can control. And there's one guy that, or one girl that is in front of me that I look after. So I've controlled everything. If then shit happens, okay, I know how to deal with it. But here you are doing that with dozens, 
hundreds of people where you have got an ultimate, uh, such a variety of potential responses. So I'm far out. I mean, I take my hat off to, to your skills to manage people in distress or in altered states of, of, of out there. They're all outside of their, their comfort zone. And that can bring out either positive stress or more negative stress and, and then all kind of reactions, isn't it? So that is an amazing thing. And you got hooked on that. I mean, if there's oh, one gosh. addiction I can I can take is you doing that. Firewalk the, Adventures. Here you go. Here's the thing about yeah, and the thing about Firewalk Adventures and being addicted to that whole process is that not once have I gone to jail, not once uh, have I crashed my car, not Ooh. once have I if I woke up with puke on my shoes as a result. Nice, right? nice. Um, so yeah, I, I'll I'll take that addiction. <laughs> the beauty is is that you know you can you can watch somebody completely trans transform their life in four seconds and you look at the look on their face at the beginning of the lane no. and then you look at them in the celebration end and it's instant transformation Boop. and then and when you do that you just watch people hundreds turned into thousands turns into tens of thousands turns into hundreds of thousands you can't be around that and it not have a, a, a massive effect on your psyche Sure. So I know, I, I know I've been blessed. I know, I, I know I've been chosen. I was chosen for this. There's no question in my mind for that. So huh. when I, in fact, when I retired from Tony, he's one of the last things he said to me, he said, Albie, you know, with great wisdom comes great responsibility. Make me proud. And, and so I, I've, I've done that. And so from my perspective is I can go to a CEO who's got a company and it's his his or hers responsibility to keep everybody motivated and inspired and encouraged. And that's a very daunting task, especially after, you know, what happened back in March of 2020. Well, now we have all this dissension going on. Mm. You know, you got the mask wearers who hate the ones that do or don't. And then you, you know, the, the Trump haters mm. and, and, and the, and the vaccine mm. pushers and the, you know, mm. and the people that, you know, and the, the boosters and, and, and the political scene. And, and it's just, it's created so much dissension. It's created so much separation. Um, and I'm like, so, all right, Mr. C, Mr. And Mrs. CEO, what are you going to do about it? Because mm. here's the bottom line. If mm. you don't fix it, it's going to cost your company millions, maybe billions. Mm. Who knows? Mm. Mm. Um, and, and then I go, and they're like, well, what can you do about it? I go, give them to me for three hours. Nice. And it's not me. It's the fire. The fire fixes it. The fire doesn't care about what you believe about the political status of this nice. or that fire doesn't care, you know, and that's the beauty of it is a lot of people don't understand the depth of firewalking and how long it's been around and what it's been used for. I have to educate him with that. And I didn't know. Tony's never talked about it. Um, you know, if you look at the Fahitians and the people mm. of India and the and the Indo-Europeans, the, the Indo-Europeans, the warriors, before they went into battle, all the warriors had to do a, a firewalk dance. And if you didn't participate, you weren't allowed to go in, into battle, which you disgraced your family. Uh, the Polynesians, the Hawaiians, mm. Mm. Um, uh, the Native American Indians here in the U.S., they all did firewalking, but they didn't do it as a motivational, mm. you know, seminar thing. They did it as a rite of passage. Mm. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual connection with everybody in the tribe. Mm. National Geographic did something really interesting a few years, years ago. I think it was a 2017. 
there was a firewalk in Portugal and they got permission to go over there and film it. And they also got permission to put heart monitors on everybody that was attending and participating. And as soon as the firewalk started, everybody's hearts calibrated. What? You know, and I get asked all the time, like, Dave, so how is it? How can you walk on coals that are a thousand degrees? What's going on? What's the science? And you know what I tell them, Doc? I don't have a clue. Uh, I don't. I don't have a clue. I've got my own hallucination. I think there's a lot of energy coming out of your hands and your feet when you fire walk because you put yourself in a peak state. And so there's a lot of energy there. And so maybe the energy's pushing off the energy. I don't know. But something's happening because I've seen hundreds of thousands of people firewalk with no issue, nothing, not even a minor blister on their feet. Mm-hmm. And I've seen what happens on the results side. I'll tell you something I think your listeners will love to hear uh, about one, one particular firewalk in Tampa many, many years ago. Um, there was a young man uh, in high school who was a collegiate athlete, and he was hit by a drunk driver, and he lost both legs. And he was, you know, his life's over in a heartbeat, right? One second, his whole life changes. He can't wrestle. He can't play football. He can't run. He can't play baseball. He can't do any of it. And this kid was probably going pro either baseball or football. And um, so he's contemplating suicide. Well, one of his buddies said, hey, you know, before you do that, why don't you, you know, you, I know you like Tony Robbins. Why, you know, Tony's coming to town. Why don't you go see him before you take your life? And the kid did. Well, it's, it's 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning. We're in a parking lot in Tampa, Florida, 6,000 people in attendance. And, and Tony sees this kid coming in a wheelchair. Now I can't see him. It's dark out there. And he's on, he's on the other side where I can't see it because I'm positioned in the middle with my shovel and my wheelbarrow. And I shovel the coals for two of the lanes. I always shove the coals for Tony. And then his lead trainer, I, I would shovel the coals for, for him. And all of a sudden, Tony stops, and he turns, and he looks at me. And he looks at me like, I think we're going to see something really profound here in a moment. And then then all of a sudden, here comes this kid. Now I can see there's this kid in the wheelchair. Well, Tony bends down to whisper something in his ear. And this kid goes, no. Like, no, you can see physiology. He's like, no, go away. I got this. No, Tony, let me go. And that kid wheeled that chair up to that lane, Doc, and he kind of positioned himself. He had a lot of upper body strength. He was, again, it was a conditioned athlete. And he, and he flung himself forward. He landed on his hands, and he walked across the fire on his hands. Fuck me. That, that moment changed my life forever. Because I had questioned, how long are you going to do this? Why are you here? You're sometimes, you know, sometimes you're away from your family. You know, you're, you know what, again, is like everything came in on me in that moment. And that's when I realized that I was chosen to do this. I knew it. There was no question anymore. I've never questioned it since that moment with that young man. And we got him back in that wheelchair. And I don't know the outcome of that. I don't know where he is today. Um, but I suspect he's alive and well. And so I've known now for a long time that the firewalking experience is, is one of the most transformational experiences anybody can have. But you know what's interesting? And here you are with this, this amazing podcast of Steps to Sobriety. And 
yet sobriety we get to do we get to do this every day <laughs> right because True. you're a gatekeeper i'm a gatekeeper yeah. new person walks through the door what do we do yeah i mean you know right the wow. 12 steps change our life yeah. the 12 traditions keep the group and 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 the and all the members together so we have a, some things to follow and what we should do and what we shouldn't do uh out there and and then the preamble's in the middle. What's the preamble say? Well, it says when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, mm. I'm responsible. You and I have a, I mean, you're you're a doctor, so you know, you you have an opportunity to save people's lives every single day. Well, people don't know what that's like. Only, only men and women in your profession know and understand that. But AA, we're a bunch of drunks. And yet we we get to carry no. that torch. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a, what a what a wonderful responsibility that we absolutely. You know, and why not? You know, again, and that's why it was so profound for me. And that's why I, I recovered the way I did, because yeah. I was hanging around a bunch of men and women who knew me, who understood me. And we all talk the same language. And and we care at a high level. And you know how you know how we say things in AA. Um, um, it's like, look, you know, yeah, well, you know, we're going to suggest this and we're going to suggest that. Well, we're also suggesting it like, yeah, well, if you're going to jump out of a plane, you might want to take a parachute with you. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of a suggestion. <laughs> and so it's just it's such a wonderful thing. Um, and, and I, I learned that early on, right? So for me to be an AA and be able to have an opportunity to save people's lives on a daily basis, mm -hmm. and then I get this too, mm -hmm. that I get to influence tens, hundreds of thousands of people. And then, because here's what I don't know. When, when you influence all these people and they firewalk and they change their life like I did, mm -hmm. what are they going to do, go home and do? Who are they going to exactly. influence after that? Exactly. Because the they become, they exactly, they become the, the light in the darkness of others. And that yep. is the most beautiful thing. And therefore, I, I you called it responsibility. I would call it privilege. I would call There's it, yeah, uh, this is, and that's where the gratitude comes. Fuck no, I get goosebumps here. Because it is such a beautiful thing that we can actually go out there and share our journey, uh, warts and all. And the moment you have done that, um, a, it's liberating for you. B, it, 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 your, your mind comes up with new ideas, with new thoughts. Um, and that is where, where not just your, the, the sobriety, uh, takes hold, but actually I'm sober. Now what? And that is where the personal development comes in. That's exactly the, the, the experience that you had. And that is where, where we get the privilege to grow. And we are grateful and we will take not for granted that the sun goes up. We don't take it for granted that we actually wake up, but we take it as a gift. I, I do. And I, no doubt you do too. There's, yes, we, are, we are uh, there. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, the older I get, the, the less I suffer fools the less I, I, I waste my time um, with things that don't really matter. I sort of really more like to focus on what matters uh, to <laughs> I <love> me. That. <laughs> right? it's, it, it has such a way of aligning us in our yeah. thought process and yeah. our mindset to what's important to what's not important. Right. Exactly. I'm over here. I'm over here last Friday, you know, looking at this little 
six pound, three ounce bundle of joy and love and going, wow, Dave, you know, you thought your life was good or you thought your life was great. You thought your life was spectacular. Well, we're going to one it up. We're going to one up it for you, pal, because oh, this is my boy. second grandchild, right? Oh, so, boy. And you know how that goes, right? If we do a great job of raising our kids, yeah. uh, they gift us with 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 grandkids. And and if we and depending on how well we did of raising our children, one of two things is going to happen: either your kids raise the grandkids, or you raise the grandkids. Oh, right? boy, boy, boy! And then of course, we get to do it. We get to, you know, I, I love that joke too, where it says. Um, uh, if I'd have known how great grandkids were going to be, I'd have had them first. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of truth to that, right? So, oh, don't yeah. you worry. I've already and got the chocolate and the espresso <laughs> waiting. And then we're going to play and I give them a trumpet and send them home to mommy and daddy. That's right. Here you go. You're all sugared up. Hey, mom, dad. Here's That's right. Take them. <laughs> Bring them over next week and I'll, I'll get you all hooked up. <laughs> I love it, man. Oh, man, um, Dave. You're, you're a great man. Oh, that is... I, that uh, the question now is, of course, you are you are at this stage in your development. Who are you gonna be? Who uh, who do you want to be in a year's time? In two years' time, what are your goals? Where are you going? Um, well, that's a really great question. And um, um, last year, I uh, when my daughter my my daughter used to travel with me and help me once I started my own company in 2014 yeah. I started my own company that's when Google called me and so Google called me and said hey are you the Dave Albin does the firewalks for Tony Robbins yeah what can I do for you guys we want to talk to you about hiring him uh, literally I'm driving down the road Google calls you that happens all the time yeah sure um, right right so we ended up doing a couple of gigs for 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 Google and then uh, what happened organically the next thing I know I'm at I'm at NASA. And then I was at Notre Dame and then Virginia Tech and then Remax and and then Chick-fil-A and then Heineken and all these big corporations here in America. Well, last year I ran hard. I did two, I did two events at Atlanta, Louisville, Asheville, uh, Nashville. I did New York, I did Boston, I did Hartford, we did Philly, we did Wilmington, <laughs> North Dakota, we did Snowbird, Utah, we went back to Nashville. Well, after <laughs> I did all that, and my daughter told me last December that Charlotte Ray was coming, I said, all right, dude, you're going to be 69 next year. What do you want to do? You want to spend time with your grandkids? Because one of the things I say in my seminars when I'm talking to you know CEOs and yeah. business owners and all that, I tell them straight up, look, you better you better figure out the art and science of achievement and fulfillment. Because if you don't, just because you achieved at a high level, yeah. if you if it's not balanced with fulfillment, you fail. Yeah. And if you don't spend time with your kids, they're going to end up on drugs. And just because you give them a lot of money and a big home and all that kind of stuff, that's that doesn't do it. So I said, I'm going to retire. So I sent out an email to all my clients and I said, guys, thank you. I love you. 2023 is going to be my last year. Well, I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> Big mistake. My phone rang off the hook. Dave, no, wait, hold it. Hey, we're going to do an event. Please. No, we're planning you. So um, I, I took a step back and, and a couple of the, a couple of my mentors in my circle of influence took me aside and said, Dave, you sure you want to do that? You know, what if you just created an academy and you, you know, you've got an academy, but why don't you just, why don't you just open up your academy, train, train some really good people to do what you do, and then you can leverage yourself and you won't have to shut yourself down. Nice. And I thought about that and pondered that. And nice. I've actually, I'm actually doing that now. Oh, so beautiful. in October of this year, 
I'll be running the second Dave Albin Firewalk Academy. <laughs> right? So uh, that's where if, if XYZ Corporation sends somebody from the HR department nice. and they come and I train them, then we get them all ready. We send them back and then they can go do what I've taught them back nice. to their own company. Nice. Or, if, you know, if they're life coaches or, yeah. you know, whatever they are, they can come to my academy and we teach them firewalking, glass walking. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes uh, firewalking is uh, not always logistically possible. Yeah. <clears throat> so we created the glass walk experience, which is pretty scary in and of itself. Because uh, we, we're teaching them how to walk on broken glass. I'm sure yeah. as a doctor, you're loving hearing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Great. Send me, send me clients, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need uh, to talk after the show. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll have to talk on a sidebar there. Uh, the arrow break, the, the, the board break, we do the rebar mm. bending, uh, and we have some other really cool experiences. Uh, and we, and I teach them how to go out and sell, sell and market themselves and what mm. to do and how to get started, how to start corporations. So Beautiful. it's a five day intensive and it's wow. really intense. They're going to do four firewalks. Um, and a, a lot of, and this next one in, in October, I've actually got a firewalk in Atlanta for a large law firm. And so all the students are going to go with me because I live oh, up excellent. in the Northwestern part of North Carolina, right? Right. So I'm, I'm about an hour and 45 minutes Northwest of Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. So I'm up in the mountains in the Appalachian mountains. So we have the academy here. So we're just going to pile them in a van and we're going to take them to the firewalk down in Atlanta. So they actually get to see and participate and be part of an uh -huh. actual firewalk. So they'll wow. get to see it from the morning when you start to the, you know, to the end when you say goodnight and clean it up. So that's kind of what I decided to do. I know that's a long answer to your question. No, it's beautiful. Uh, but it's beautiful. No, because it shows that there is age does not stop anything. It it shows me that your passion is transcending the stages of our life. And that is exactly where I, I can't see myself stopping soon. And when I say stopping, I can see myself retiring from my work as an anesthetist i cannot see myself not throwing myself into a new project and god knows where that leads me so it's it's those kind of things as long as we we realize that that yeah changes will be inevitable challenges in your life are inevitable chaos will be inevitable but when you start learning more about yourself when you start uh, accumulating experiences such as you with the firewalk and that is something that that steals you that gives you gives you a a resilience and that is beautiful that is exactly those kind of things that we can we can add into our lives that is what enriches us yeah and therefore it's oh, fantastic what you're doing there so i love to hear that dave if, if other people out there are saying shit i wanna i wanna do a firewalk with you or <laughs> where can they find you where, um, where where is firewalk adventures on the internet <laughs> on the internet uh you can find us at www.firewalkadventures.com firewalk adventures is all one word it's all there yeah. Uh, how to get a hold of me? Uh, you know, my calendar's there. If you want to book me, uh, there's uh, a, a lot of the affiliates and the people that I do business with. Uh, we have the academy that's on there where they can go read about that and see what's required. And, and so it's it's all there. 
Oh, beautiful. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because of all of Dave's uh, information is down there. And guys, what have you got to lose? Okay. It is, uh, I actually, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm already thinking, okay, how can I wriggle that? Where can I actually, I need to look at your calendar. I need to see how I can get myself, I don't know, dressed up as a lawyer or something like that and, and sneak in the background. I don't care. I want to actually do this experience. I've done a lot of Tony Robbins work, uh, but I've yeah. done it remote via Zoom, um, yeah. which is, of course, cool. But it also doesn't give you the those kind of state changes. I um, haven't been able to figure out how to do the firewalk remotely yet. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm quite call, happy right? to put my money where my mouth is there uh, or <laughs> my, right. where my feet are. <laughs> Let's put it like that. Doc, no. I would love to have you. I mean, uh, I'm telling you, I, I've done a lot of podcasts and this is definitely – uh, this has been an, a magical, magical experience. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for bringing me on your show. No trouble at all. Sobriety, man. <laughs> this has been awesome. Dave Alban, what a man. <laughs> so no, I, we will stay in touch, brother. That is for sure. And you guys, you, out, you guys out there, look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. <laughs> Take care, everyone. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.